Our scripture reading for this morning comes from uh, the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. We have been <clears throat> kind of slowly making our way through the book of Ruth. We're going to speed up a little bit this week. We're going to look at uh, the whole of chapter 2 this morning. If, uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there are, should be some Bibles back on the, the table, and you are welcome not only to use that this morning, but if you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to take that with you. Uh, write your name in the front, uh, make it your own, and then bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together. Before we, before we read Ruth chapter 2, let me, let me pray for us. Father, we come before you uh, again to hear from you. We come to receive your word. Uh, we come to receive your grace through your son Jesus as we find it in the scriptures. We just pray that you would open, open my mouth, open uh, uh, my uh, mind as I speak, and open our hearts as we hear, Father, that we would receive your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would apply your word to our hearts and would... Uh, would, would change us, uh, that you would give us a greater sight of your grace and your mercy, and that we would uh, take that in and, and feed on the grace that we need. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. 
And also pull some out from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The book of Ruth is one of those books that calls us to, to read ourselves into the story, to identify with the characters. And so the, the, the primary question uh, as we look at these two women, as we look at Ruth and as we look at Naomi, the primary question we're asking ourselves is, is where am I vulnerable? Where am I weak and needy? Uh, where has my sin, like Naomi, uh, brought unintended consequences? And I need God to come and make me whole again. The book calls us to, to read ourselves into the story and see where we are poor and hungry and alone and in need of a Redeemer. And so as we talk this morning, as we work through Ruth chapter 2, think about these questions. Ask yourself uh, where you are weak, where you are needy. As we look at Naomi and Ruth, consider yourself before our Father. We see in Ruth chapter 2, we will see in Ruth chapter 2, that God provides. That God provides, he provides through the man of grace, and he provides for the lowliest of the low. See, God provides, how does he provide? Through, through the man of grace, that's what we're going to see in this chapter. For whom does he provide? He provides for the lowliest of the low. God provides. You may question that. You may wonder, does God provide? Does God provide for his people? I mean, if ever there were two people who needed providing for, it was Ruth and Naomi. I mean, they were two widows. They had no source of income, no source of food, no source of safety. They had no future. I mean, in, a, in effect, these two women had nothing. Uh, there were no welfare programs in that day, not like there are today anyway. There was no police force. There was no provision, no protection. They were destitute and in danger. As far as Naomi is concerned, you remember maybe from chapter 1, God had abandoned her. His hand had gone out against her. And so Naomi, who was in the fields of Moab, a long way from her home, she hears back in chapter 1 that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And, and so she sets out to go back home to get some of the food that the Lord had sent. And Naomi returns maybe with a little bit of mixed motives. She's bitter at God for all that had happened in her life. 
But she also knows that God had shown mercy to his people. He had given them bread where there was once famine, and so she goes to, to receive some of God's grace. And so one of the questions we ask as we come to chapter 2, has God really abandoned Naomi? Is life as bleak as she thinks it is? And so we come really to the last verse of chapter 1, verse 22. Chapter 1, verse 22 reads, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now already, uh, as they return to Bethlehem, there's, there's this good sign it's, it's maybe, you might call it the first coincidence in this chapter, and I use that word on purpose. The first coincidence, right? They arrive at just the right time. It's the beginning of the whole harvest season. These two hungry widows return just when there will be an abundance of food. And then we come to chapter 2, verse 1, and, and the writer gives us this little tease. The writer introduces a new character to the story, the character of Boaz. The writer says, Boaz is a worthy man. That phrase, a worthy man, it's used actually back in the book of Judges to refer to Gideon, right? The warrior and the judge. So what is he saying about Boaz, that Boaz is a great warrior? Well, that phrase is also used in Proverbs chapter 31 to refer to the worthy woman. And there it's talking about a woman of godly character. And the phrase could also mean a man of wealth. This phrase, a worthy man. So the point is that Boaz is a great man. He's a man of substance. He's, he's rich in wealth, we'll see. He's also rich in character. He's even a man who might deliver God's loved and disciplined children as Gideon did. But we're not only told that he's a worthy man, we're also told in chapter 2, verse 1, that he's a relative of Naomi's of the clan of Elimelech. And uh, both of those phrases are important because it's not just that he's related to Naomi, but he's related to Naomi through Elimelech. Okay, and that's important uh, because of the laws in Israel. Relatives had responsibilities in that day. If your relative becomes poor, you were to lend to them without interest. You were even to allow them to live with you if necessary and to work for you. Or if your relative became so poor that they had to sell themselves into slavery, your job was to redeem them and buy them back. You were responsible for your relatives in that day. Finally, right, if, if a man were to die and have no children, the brother of that man was to take his dead brother's wife as his own and raise up a child in his brother's name. We would think that's a little awkward today, but they didn't apparently. Right? Raise up a child in his brother's name. And in that way, his brother's name wouldn't disappear, right, but would live on through his child. This is what uh, that person who would do that was called a redeemer. In fact, Naomi uh, refers to that at the end of chapter 2. She says, this man, Boaz, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And you see what the writer in chapter 2, verse 1 is doing. He's kind of teasing us. He's saying, here's Boaz, a relative of Naomi's, from the same clan of Elimelech. He's not his brother, exactly, but what might happen, right? How is this all going to work out? He's inviting us to begin to ask that question. 
And then we get to verse 2, and Ruth decides uh, that, you know, her mother-in-law and she are impoverished, and rather than sit and starve, she's going to go do something about it. And so she's going to go glean in the Israelite fields. Again, God had set up laws in Israel to care for the poor and the sojourner. Uh, a farmer was not to harvest his field clean, according to Leviticus 19, but he was to leave some along the edges. If he accidentally dropped anything or missed anything, he was to leave it and not go back. And, and, and Israel, in this way, was to have a special care for the poor, for the sojourner in their midst. Why? Why were they to care for them in that way? Because they were sojourners in Egypt, and God cared for them by bringing them out. They should sympathize with the needy. And so the farmer cared for the sojourner and the poor by allowing them to pick up after the harvest whatever was left over. That's what Ruth is going to do. She's going to go pick up after the harvesters have harvested to see if she can get enough grain for her and her mother-in-law to eat. Of course, just because God commanded it didn't mean anyone would actually obey. I mean, remember uh, the beginning of Ruth, these are the days of the judges. And if you remember the days of the judges, uh, these were the days when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is not a time of high moral standards. So Ruth is just hoping maybe somebody is going to show her favor and let her glean in their field. So Ruth ventures out hoping someone will take notice of her. Look again at verses 2 and 3. Uh, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. This is the second big coincidence, right? Remember the first, right? They come back to Bethlehem at just the right time. Now Ruth ventures out to glean somewhere, anywhere, just hoping that someone will have favor on her and let her glean. And where does she end up? We're told she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Notice we get the whole relationship again. It doesn't just say the, the, the field belonging to Boaz. He has to remind us who Boaz is, just in case we missed it the first time. But the word that's really surprising here is actually the word happened. She happened to come to the field. Because the phrase is actually emphasized in Hebrew. It's, it's, the word is, is used twice in two different forms. You might translate it. This would be a little awkward. But Ruth just happened to happen upon the field of Boaz. Right? She just happened. And we would say in English, right, that, that as luck would have it, Ruth ended up in just the right field. Now, you might wonder, what is the writer saying, right? I mean, Ruth just happens to get lucky and end up in the right field. I mean, doesn't the writer know there's no such thing as luck, right? Doesn't he know that God is in control? Why is he saying this? Well, of course, that's exactly what he wants us to ask. What's so amazing, though, is at this point, he leaves the question open, right? He asks the question. He doesn't answer it. He wants you to wrestle with it throughout the chapter. Is this just luck? Is that what's happening here? Ruth's just, just lucky. She just ended up in the right field. Well, the rest of the chapter, right, we see Boaz. He lets Ruth work in his field. He supplies her, her need of food in abundance. He supplies her need of protection and safety, we'll, we'll talk about. Did Ruth just get lucky? What do you think? Well, the writer eventually tells us, by the end of the chapter, on the lips of one of the characters. 
At the end of the chapter, Ruth returns home to Naomi, and Naomi notices all the grain that she brings home, which, by the way, was about 30 to 50 pounds worth of grain. She picked a lot of grain that day. And uh, in verses 19 and 20, once Ruth tells Naomi whose field she had been in that day, uh, Naomi breaks out into this spontaneous rejoicing. Naomi bursts into praise. But who is she praising? We actually need to read the text closely in verse 20. Verse 20 says, May he be blessed by the Lord. Who's the he there? The who, he is Boaz, right? May he be blessed by the Lord. May Boaz be blessed by the Lord. Whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Who does the word whose refer to? Right? May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Grammatically, right, words like whose uh, refer back typically to the most recent person that was mentioned, right? So who's the most recent per- person mentioned? It's the Lord, right? Naomi is praising the Lord, Yahweh, because his, Yahweh's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That's actually pretty amazing on the lips of Naomi, isn't it? Right? Chapter 1, as far as Naomi was concerned, Yahweh was against her. He had caused all her trouble. He had dealt bitterly with her. He had brought calamity upon her. He had messed up her life, right? It was all his fault. But now Naomi sees food. She sees food in abundance. She sees the provision of God. And she gives us the proper understanding of the events of that day. It wasn't luck. Right? Ruth didn't just happen to end up in the right field. God had guided her so he could provide. The Lord's steadfast love, his loving kindness had not forsaken the living, Ruth and Naomi, or the dead, Naomi's dead husband and Ruth's dead husband. God had been faithful to provide for his people. What do you think? Does God provide Maybe you think, well, this is a nice story, but God doesn't actually provide like that. Maybe you think it's, it's just a nice story. There's really no God to do that kind of thing. It's nice if you think that. Or maybe you think, well, there is a God, but none that's active, actually working in the details of life. I don't see any parted Red Seas recently or nobody rising from the dead. Maybe God provided back then, you say, but, but not today. Or maybe you feel like Naomi and you think God might provide for some, but not for me. Well, those questions, we're going to keep talking about that as we we move on to our next points, which are how God provided and for whom he provided, right? We're going to see God provides. He provides through the man of grace, and he provides for the lowliest of the low. So God provides through the man of grace, You know, we've already seen how the writer emphasized Boaz's entrance onto the scene, mentioning him, mentioning his relationship to Naomi multiple times. Well, once he gets there, he doesn't disappoint us. The first words out of his mouth are are show his godliness as he blesses his employees. And their response is maybe even more amazing because it shows that these men think highly of their employer. Right? Maybe atypical of employees to employers, their response is to bless him back. And then immediately, this godly man, when he comes onto the scene, the first thing he does after he blesses his employees is take notice of Ruth. You know, taking notice of someone is actually a huge first step of love. Uh, We often run around going about our day without taking any notice of the people around us. We don't see the people who are there, but not Boaz. He comes to his field. He immediately notices Ruth, and he asks about her. 
And then his kindness to her continues throughout the rest of the day. He, he offers for her to stick in his field and keep close to his young women, probably meaning she could glean ahead of where the poor actually normally gleaned with some of his own female workers. Right? He's saying, stick with my young women. And Boaz provides for her in that way. And then he charges his young men not to touch her. This is, of course, really important. A single foreign woman alone in a field full of young men. Right? Think of all of the dangers she could be in. She certainly could have been mocked as a foreigner. She could have been physically harmed as a woman. But Boaz takes her interest in mind. He protects her. You see, even more so at the end of verse 9, the end of verse 9, uh, when he says to, Boaz says to Ruth, when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Again, he's providing for her, for her thirst this time. But what's striking about that is normally the women drew water for the men in that culture. But here, Boaz offers a foreign woman to drink from the water that his men had drawn. See, Boaz's kindness is over the top. And Boaz continues to provide and protect her. That's enforced later. Verse 15, Boaz provides again. He tells his young men to let her glean among the sheaves. And then he protects again. He tells his young men not to reproach her. Verse 16, again, he tells his young men to pull out from the bundles for her and actually drop some of the things on the ground that they had gathered for her to pick up. And then he again offers his protection. He tells his young men not to rebuke her. Verse 17, she brings home this ephah of barley, which we said before was like 30 to 50 pounds of grain, depending on how you measure. And that's a very large bag of grain. This would be food for months for her and her, her mother-in-law. Ruth again mentions his kindness in verse 21. Naomi points out his protection in verse 22. The point is, as we look at this chapter, Boaz is amazingly generous. Here's this man who's looking out for this foreign woman that he doesn't really even know, except by hearsay. Ruth sees this, and she is overwhelmed with his grace. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, Ruth says, she said, she, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? I want, I want you to note one thing in that verse at the moment. We'll look at it again in a minute. And compare that verse, verse 10, to verse 2 earlier. Verse 2, uh, Ruth, the, the Moabite, says to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. After him in whose sight I shall find favor. And then verse 10, why have I found favor in your eyes? See, Boaz is the fulfillment of her hope. This is exactly what she was looking for. And favor, the word favor means either grace or acceptance. So Ruth comes to this field and she finds acceptance in the eyes of Boaz. She, he, he looks at her and shows her grace. And remember, this is no coincidence. It's no blind luck that brought Ruth to Boaz. It wasn't a chance meeting. Boaz could only provide for Ruth and Naomi because God had first provided Boaz. The point is God provides through this man. How does he provide? He provides through the one who's willing to show grace. He provides through the one who takes notice of people. He provides through the one who's willing to protect the vulnerable and to care for the needy. That's how God provides. That's how he continues to work in the world today. He works through his people. He works through the church. He provides. And if you ever wonder if God is at work today, just look at what God is doing through circumstances, through people, as he cares for those in need, through his church. 
through his own. God provided. He provided through the man of grace. He provided for the lowliest of the low. What makes this all the more amazing, again, is who Ruth is. If you go back to verse 10, notice why she was so amazed. She says, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? We've kind of said this throughout, but it's important for us just to think about it for a minute. Ruth is very conscious, maybe self-conscious, of her status. She knows she's not from around here. She knows that everybody is staring at her. She knows what people think of those Moabites. And the text keeps reminding us, actually, through the chapter, right? Chapter 2, verse 2 says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi. The servants in verse 6 call Ruth the young Moabite. Even in verse 21, again, without any real reason, we're told Ruth the Moabite talks with Naomi. The writer doesn't want us to forget that, that Ruth is not just a widow, She's a Moabite widow. She's a foreigner. She's an, an alien and a stranger. She has no reason to accept, expect acceptance in Bethlehem. Ruth is not in a position to demand or, or to expect favorable treatment, but she finds grace. She finds favor, acceptance in the eyes of this godly man. And, you, and, you, and her question is, why would you be nice to me? I'm, I'm just a foreigner. I'm just a stranger. Why, why are you being so kind? She expects racial prejudice, but she gets acceptance instead. What a great display of grace, right? The outcast accepted, received, and loved. Boaz responds to her question with, with a blessing in verses 11 and 12, and Ruth again expresses her amazement at his kindness in verse 13. She says, I'm your servant, meaning that she is below him in the social order of things. And then she says, but I'm not one of your servants, meaning she isn't even up to the level of one of his servants, right? See, there's not only this ethnic division, but an economic and a social one as well. Ruth is on the bottom of the social ladder. Boaz is on the top. He's a wealthy and powerful landowner. She's a lowly and powerless nobody as far as she's concerned. And yet he showed kindness to her. Boaz shows kindness to the least deserving and yet he doesn't stop there. I mean, we, all that we've talked about, he actually does more. Later, he invites her to his table in verse 14. He passes her food with his own hand. He gives her so much she gets full and is satisfied and has some left over. Boaz's grace is so great. He takes this outcast and brings her to his table, giving her dignity and treating her as an equal. This was really Ruth's greatest need, wasn't it? She, she needed acceptance. Because if the people of Bethlehem didn't accept Ruth, which as a Moabite, they might not have, their situ situation, Ruth and Naomi's situation, would have gone from bad to worse. Because then they would have been in Bethlehem, alone and alienated from the people around them. But Boaz shows Ruth the Moabite grace. Isn't this an amazing picture of the gospel? I mean, in every detail. God provides through the man of grace for the lowliest of the low. I mean, in, in, on a world scale, we are the lowliest of the low. Sorry, but it's true, right? Our sin means we are exiles from God's presence. We not only don't deserve his grace, we deserve his anger, his discipline, his judgment. We have no reason to expect mercy, no right to demand favor from God. Of course, most of us in this room also, we're not the people of the promise. We're Gentiles. We're not Jews. We're like Ruth. We have no right to expect grace from the God of Abraham, but God provides. He cares and he provides. How does he do that? He does that through the man of grace, Jesus. Jesus comes into the world and he notices our condition. 
This is something uh, Paul Miller points out in one of his books, not the book I mentioned last week on Ruth, but another book called Love Walked Among Us. He points out that Jesus is always looking at people. He's always noticing them. You read through the Gospels, and the Gospel writers keep pointing this out. Jesus looked at her, or Jesus looked at him. See, Jesus came to take notice of us in our sinful, fallen, miserable, condemned condition. He came to take notice, to provide, and to protect. And like Ruth, our greatest need is acceptance. Acceptance with our Father in heaven. You might expect rejection from God, but Jesus comes to offer acceptance. But that acceptance is costly. Right? In order for us to be accepted by God, Jesus had to be rejected by him. That's what the cross is all about. God the Father turns his back on the Son. And of course, the Bible says, He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how, were, how will he not also graciously give us all things? See, if God gave up Jesus for us, he's going to give us everything, everything we need. God provides in Christ. We have acceptance and everything else. We have the forgiveness of our sins. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the renewal of our souls. We have reconciliation to our Father. We have the hope of the resurrection to come. See, in Jesus, we're invited to the Father's table. This is what the Lord's Supper is about. It's a sign that we have been invited into intimate table fellowship with our Father. It's a sign of our acceptance of God's treating us with a dignity that we don't deserve, but is ours as a gift by grace in his Son because of the cross. Do, do you see your neediness like Ruth and like Naomi? Do you see your need of acceptance with the Father because of your sin? Do you see your need of forgiveness, of renewal of your soul? then venture to place yourself in the hands of grace. Cling to Christ for acceptance, for protection, for provision. Do you see yourself as unworthy of that grace, like Ruth, as undeserving, as maybe below the reach of grace, that you think you've sinned too much or your heart is too cold? Take heart. And like Boaz, the greater Boaz, Jesus is seeking to care for those who are most in need and vulnerable. And that means you and me. It is to those who have no right to claim that, that, uh, that Jesus offers grace. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's no distinction that can keep you from his grace. No racial distinction, no economic distinction, no moral distinction even. Grace is for the lowliest of the low. It's for the worst of sinners. Look to him and find grace. Find acceptance. Do you trust in the grace of your Redeemer? Do you know it? Do you believe it? Do you, have you rested in it? Do you enjoy it? Do you find joy in it? Show that same grace to others, right? To the needy, to the vulnerable, to the foreigner and the outcast, to the out of place. Where can we do that? Where can we do that? Where can we do that as a church? Where can we do that as individuals? Where can we show grace to those in need? Where can we do that on campus? Where can we do that in our community? Where can we do that in our workplaces? Where can we show grace to the foreigner, to the sojourner, to the poor, to the needy? Jesus has been gracious to us. We are to live out lives that reflect that grace. Be imitators of God, Paul says in Ephesians, and walk in love as Christ loved us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we... We praise you for the gospel, not simply for Boaz showing kindness to Ruth, but for Jesus showing kindness to us. 
We praise you that he came to show mercy to those who were truly in need. That despite our sin and our rebellion, despite the the misery of our situation and sin, Jesus came to look upon us with favor and to lift us out of our situation, to give us acceptance with the Father, reconciliation, and everything else with that. Father, help us to look to the Son. Help us to trust in Him. Help us to see His work. Help us to believe it. Help us to be changed by it and reflect that to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.